it looks like we're live. I'm assuming everybody can hear me. Everything looks like it's on. Looks like I'm not peeking on that. So hopefully the audio is good. Welcome to the live stream portion of the weekly gathering of the Household of Faith in Christ. We've had our praise and worship. We've had a lot of joyful noise this evening. Uh, and maybe some noise that even wasn't all that joyful, but we made a lot of noise. And well, we had kind of prayer, and um, and so we're, we're blessed now to have you join us as our worship continues to um, sit under the teaching and preaching of God's Word. We're going to be in Revelation chapter 13 today, kind of an overview message there, a message I've titled, God Alone is Always the Majority. And uh, I'm also going to have a, a quick quote from uh, the book of Job later, and Revelation, Job... You know, whatever part of the 66 books of the Bible we read, these are uh, what we call our canon, and the canon is completely sufficient as the rule and guide for our faith and life practice. So as you hear God's Word, read God's Word, study God's Word, meditate upon God's Word, you should understand that you're interacting with something that was written by men who were carried along by the Spirit. This is called the inspiration process, and so it's inspired by God, which means you know, God doesn't make mistakes, so it's inerrant, it's infallible. And you know what I'm going to do, just so that you don't have to peek around that corner quite so much, I'm going to slide this back a hair. I might make it a little easier for you. Anyway, uh, so anyway, so I encourage you as we study God's Word to receive it as such, and for those who have ears to hear, to hear. Now those who are gathered in this room with me know that earlier we read the entirety of Revelation chapter 13 together. And we did so in part because, one, it helps us to keep the, uh, the time constraints on the sermon uh, uh, together, but also it helps us to give us a sense of how the Christians of the first century would have first heard the text. In fact, they most likely would have first heard the words of the Revelation within the context of the entire book read aloud all at once. So for a few moments, let's see if we can uh, let our minds be imaginative. Let's see if we can visualize the setting way back then. And if they were meeting early in the morning or maybe in the evening, perhaps there was candlelight or maybe they had some torches lit. But they possibly would have kept the light dim because persecution was a real daily threat. And they trusted God. And yet they had anxiety because the world around them, it didn't always make much sense. And how were they to comprehend the circumstances of the world? How were they to comprehend the circumstances of their individual lives? And you just might have the same or similar questions as you listen to God's word read aloud and preached. What's happening with all the craziness that we see and experience? Is God losing the fight against evil? These are the types of things that are addressed in the Revelation. And not only do we see that God always maintains control, but we see also that God has already beaten evil. We're just waiting for the end game to play out. In earlier sermons, we've already addressed how John is using the same kind of symbolism or similar kind of symbolism we find in the book of Daniel. And we've discussed how people have, uh, with this kind of symbolism idea in mind, have uh, 
back in the first century, the believers were speculating how to understand all this, how to understand the number of the man that we see here in Revelation 13. And so they decided, well, maybe it's talking about Nero. Or it could be talking about Vespasian or Titus or Domitian or someone like that. And all these guesses, they were based upon something. Here's your word of the week. Something called gematria. Gematria, that's a fun little word. This is the ancient code system that assigned numerical value to each letter of the alphabet. And so each name could be represented by a number. Actually, this isn't that foreign to us if we think about Roman numerals, right, where the letters are numbers. It's kind of like that. Now, there are varying ways that people would do this, including changing the language, like translating something from Greek into Hebrew and then applying your your code numbers to that translated word, for instance. This is a way of creating a secret code because you had to know which language to translate it into before you did your... Your, your numerology kind of thing. And so this was good. You can keep things kind of secret from those. You didn't want to know what was going on, but it also opened the way for people to find ways to make a lot of wild guesses. And these wild guesses could end up being forced to fit someone's particular numbering system and so they could get way off track if they weren't in on how to decode the coding. So we should be careful how far we push the utilization of this numbering code system today. Well, we're on the subject of this coding, by the way. Here's something that uh, might get your head thinking. Got my head thinking when I noticed this. When the Greek word for beast, the actual word beast, is translated into Hebrew, well, the gematria code for that word counts out to 666. So in a sense, the word beast is literally the number of the beast. Now, this is all very fun. I find it to be a little bit more than in, in just a tad intriguing. But big picture, as much fun as all that is, I don't want to lose sight of the big picture. We talked about this last week. I think the main thing we really want to try to understand is the number 666. It represents falling short of 777. Falls short of holiness. Seven is the, the number of completeness and holiness. Now, over the years, there's a whole lot of people who have made a whole lot of money trying to speculate as to the mark of the beast. It's represented by the beast's name and or number. Now, this isn't to say, what I'm about to say here, I don't want you to misunderstand this, is not to say that there, there couldn't be some physical mark or at various times or that there won't be some sort of specific uh, mark at a specific time in history yet to come. I'm not saying that that's not on the table, in play. But I do want to say that we, if we don't do best, we at least benefit from trying to think in terms of the mark also maybe being something that's kind of similar to the seal of the Holy Spirit. Because again, the enemy is trying to mimic God and the seal of the Holy Spirit is not visible to our human eyes. And so maybe, maybe there's an aspect of the mark that might not be visible to the naked eye, something for us to think about. Now, followers of Christ, we know that we are identified by God as belonging to the kingdom of heaven. And the followers of Antichrist, they are identified by Satan as belonging to the beasts of this world. And the 
two beasts they aim to have control over and to force allegiance from all tribes, people, languages, and nations. But unlike God, as powerful as the beast is, this the beast's power, it has limits. The beast will be allowed to exercise authority for only 42 months. This is an indication that it is not forever. God's authority is forever. God's authority is eternal. Now the adversary, Satan, pictured by the dragon, he exercises his control through the means of power-hungry authoritarians and crafty, deceptive propagandists. In the first century, some of the primary purveyors of propaganda would have been priests of the emperor cult. What would be the equivalent today? Well, it might be today's mass media, the so-called educational institutions. These are our primary purveyors of propaganda today. In the first century, the propagandists, they would have also included what was called the Commune of Asia. Ever hear about that? Read about that maybe in history? Commune of Asia was a council of distinguished civic leaders who heralded loyalty to the emperor. So today's equivalent for that might be, I don't know, the fascist titans of industry maybe, or all of the uh, useful idiots in the Chamber of Commerce, or any and all of the useful idiots that are working in the fields of marketing and advertising. These are the ones who are heralding loyalty to the emperor. Now, a great amount of the impact that's made by these liars, it is accomplished subliminally. It's not always that apparent. It's rather subliminal. So their worldview, it becomes the air we breathe. It's taken in as if by osmosis. It's simply in the atmosphere. The truth, quote-unquote, of what they say, it is assumed rather than proven. So why do so many of our friends not see the real truth, the truth that the Holy Spirit has opened our eyes and minds to see? This is why. I mean, when a fish swims in polluted waters, it doesn't know any different. It's just the way the world is to them. It's all so obvious. How could there be any other reality? And so they look at those who are informed of the real truth as though they have three heads. What's wrong with you, they say. Are you a science denier? Gotta have faith, man. Haven't you seen all the latest miracles of modern technology? What's new is so much better than all those old, outdated ideas from the past. If you don't agree, I guess that means you're just an old-fashioned, out-of-touch bigot. Or worse... You're a misogynist, xenophobic, gay-hating racist. Your only hope is to bow as we have to the God of the technocratic state, ruled by the self-proclaimed expert class. And if you won't signal that you agree with our virtuous stances, you know, like by saluting the Ukrainian flag while at the same time disparaging the American flag and celebrating the victim status of the blacks and the browns and the gays while self-flagellating for your 
privilege and inescapable guilt. And throwing in with the neo-Marxist cult by using preferred pronouns. While also, of course, saying that anyone and everything can get married to anyone and everything. Like even a woman with a penis getting hitched to a four-story concrete public building because, well, you know, they're in love, you know. The woman with the penis in the building, they're in love. I'm using some rather spicy rhetoric today. Well, that's because the radical pagans are killing people. They're killing the healthy future of this country. They are killing the worldview of our kids and neighbors. They are killing the ability of people to provide for themselves and to provide for others. And in more recent years, they are killing us all directly. Tens of millions of babies dashed upon the rocks. in the innocuous name of family planning. There's probably tens of millions more killed in the innocuous name of nation building. And I'm sure millions more have been killed in the innocuous name of dreamers and open borders. And millions have been killed also, we know, in the innocuous name of flattening the curve, following the science. There's a devastating one-two punch that is repeatedly smacking society in the head and in the heart. The beast from the sea in Revelation 13 represents all the forms of tyranny that a big group of us lately have really gotten pretty darn good, much better anyway, at identifying. Of late, we're seeing this politically, socially, economically, educationally. The beast from the earth, it represents this same sort of a tyranny, but from pulpits and such like. One is a civil magistrate kind of a beast, and one is a clerical religious kind of a beast. Making use of a rather extended quote from Dr. Vern Poitras, even before these beasts were out and out killing people, quote, successful modern democratic governments were not killing people literally. They did not need to as long as their idle programs were so successful. They travel not toward paternal severity, but toward maternal smothering. The state undertakes to help you by stuffing you with what is good for you, according to its wonderfully enlightened, beneficent judgment. But if you do not agree, you are socially unfit. And maladapted, the old you must be killed, socially speaking, by social engineering in order that the new you may function as an upstanding, healthy citizen of the state. To this end, the state uses education, financial penalties, financial inducements, endless regulations, and bureaucrats overseeing and directing your decisions. No, we... Christians in such a country do not feel the immediate threat of the sword, but entangling ourselves, untangling ourselves from the clinging web of idolatry 
is like death, for the web exists inside us as well as outside, in the ways in which we have already, as members of our society, absorbed its godless assumptions. The society regards the Christian as a misfit, a misanthrope, a victim of insanity. He does not share knowledge of the obvious verities and so cannot be trusted. Thus, a consistent Christian will find it difficult to fit in and mix with pagan society. End quote. I wonder if anyone hearing my voice can relate with this quote from 22 years ago. That's right, it was written two decades prior to the Wuhan flu debacle. It's not that the quote is prescient. It's that there's nothing new under the sun. Political powers, they come and they go, as signified by the first beast suffering a what appears to be a mortal head wound, only to rise up again with impressive power. And the second beast sings the praises of this power, practically hypnotizing the entire human race so that they stand in awe and are given over to fear Everyone's being played. Very few are given eyes to see that this is the case. And as scary as all this is, we must not forget that Jesus is able to still the tempest. The sea beast of Revelation 13, it's like the sea monster, the Leviathan. The earth beast, it's like the land monster, Behemoth. Well, both of these, Leviathan, Behemoth, they, they show up in the book of Job in chapters 40 and 41. And then in the next chapter, Job's response in chapter 42, it is to be our response. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you, Lord, can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. See, our trust is not in ourselves. It's not in other people. It's not in political parties. Our trust is in God. Now, some might be prone, as they hear all this, to patting themselves on the back, and they're thinking, aren't I so tough? I didn't give in to the demands of the secular humanist beast. You know, some can accurately say this, only to then fall prey to the spirit of the age beast. Both types of people stand guilty. There's no excuse. Just because the big bad beast made me do it. No excuse. Just because the sneaking, conniving beast caught me off guard with its seductions. You think it's not your fault because you were deluded? As someone once remarked, a life of wickedness is a life of delusion. All the beast's followers walk in a vain show. Once a person has awakened from this beastly induced stupor, it is not too late. So, do you know anyone like this? Someone maybe who's showing some signs of waking up? Well, call them to repentance. 
and call them to the forgiveness and blessing that's found in the good news of Jesus Christ. And in the meantime, we can be angry with the actions of those leading people astray. We should be angry about this. But we should have broken hearts for those who know not what they do. They have no wisdom because they know not Christ. Kind of reminds me, it's like the contestants on the uh, TV show Survivor. Seems like every season almost, they, they, I don't understand, but they just don't know any better. I mean, they've seen the show before they went on it, haven't they? And yet, <laughs> here they are on the barren island for weeks, and they're so hungry. I mean, some of these people, they lose dozens of pounds in like a month. It's crazy. And so then they, they win a game. It's called a challenge. They win the reward challenge, and the reward is a bunch of delicious food. And it all sounds and looks so wonderful. And, and they know it's, it's, it's good to consume some calories. It's good to eat some yummy yummies. And so what do they too often do? They eat. A lot. They eat too much. It makes them sick. They cramp up. They throw up. They, they dash off into the tree and hoping that they'll make it there in time. So now let's take that scenario, the scenario of the television production, and move it into the real world. We know we're called to be good stewards of the planet God gave us. So, the devious Green New Deal and its related movements, with all the dire warnings about global climate change, well, they that all sounds on the face of it to be so very yummy, yummy. And we know we should take care of these temples we call our bodies, right? And so the, the fear-mongering revolving around experimental injections that causes some of us to throw caution to the wind and to take the jab. Take the jab. Take the jab. Four and five times even. Not to mention staying away from grandma, abandoning her to the system at the nursing home. People did this for high-sounding reasons, you see. It, it seemed so yummy, yummy. They wanted to protect Grandma. It seemed so good, so right at the time. And then everyone hears about a war in Ukraine, which is terrible. So, let's take some money from people struggling in America and give it to people who are struggling in Ukraine. <laughs> It's a sacrifice. Forced sacrifice. But still, it, it can feel virtuous. It can seem so yummy, yummy if it is looked at from a very contorted angle. And this is how the beast works. He's an illusionist, blinding people to the truth and stuffing their heads with a kaleidoscope of virtue signals. And he is astoundingly effective at it. Both beasts are effective at what they do. Because they get their power from a supernatural source. The first beast has power directly from the dragon, Satan. The second beast gets its power from the first. So they're essentially working off the same power grid. They're just different in their tact. 
The first beast blasphemes God in a daring, devil-may-care way. Well, the second beast blasphemes God more carefully, more slitheringly, deceptively. The beast of the sea makes war and will happily shoot you right between the eyes. The beast of the earth makes miracles, apparent miracles anyway, and does things that play tricks on the eyes. For the first, it's all about force and fear. For the second, it's all about persuasion and craftiness. One is aggressive. The other is passive-aggressive. The second beast points people to worship the first hideous beast. Both of them are hideous beasts, and they in turn point people to worship the hideous dragon, who is the devil himself. Those refusing to worship in the way that the second beast says that they must, these people of conviction, they are socially banned. This is better, I guess, than what happens to those who refuse to worship in the way that the first beast says that they must, because the first beast will gladly slay those who refuse to get with the program. So they're not exactly the same, these beasts, but they play for the same team. Both arrogantly hate God. Both haughtily hate God's church. And so they work to create a sort of hell on earth for those who are destined for heaven. And none of the things I've said thus far is going to make everyone in this room cringe. I mean, some will cringe, I'm sure, but others, they're going to say in their own hearts, ha, I haven't fallen for any of the beastly hijinks. I'm on to their schemes. Yeah, okay. Fair enough. Probably true in some cases, to a certain extent. But while some of us are pretty darn good at anticipating and, and dealing with what some of the demons and the demonic do, we might still fall for some of the other trickery that they have up their sleeves and not even notice that their trickery is at work. I'm telling you, it is so subtle. It's gently swaying our opinions, altering our worldview. One tiny drop of water on the granite stone at a time. And eventually that steady drip, 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 it eventually leaves a mark, even on the most stalwart of stones. Could be as simple as a popular TV show like Survivor or some movie. Take Hotel Transylvania, for example. It's a very successful franchise of animated movies, and it has spawned a cartoon series on TV. In quite a few ways, Hotel Transylvania is doing the work of the second beast. Did you know it? Very surreptitiously advocating for dishonesty, for example. You know, I wasn't too familiar with Hotel Transylvania and the phenomenon that it is. I hadn't even heard about it until this year, to be honest. So I recently watched the four movies that have been made thus far. That's right, there's four of them. And I also watched a number of the 
episodes for the TV series. And the first episode I streamed, it has an evil stepmother type character who helps the main character in the show to straight out lie to all the other characters in the show. And then the very next episode I watched, the demanding aunt and her little niece Mavis, they discover that all sorts of discord accompanies telling the truth, so lying is better. The very next episode I saw, there's a Frankenstein character, he has problems with his hands, and this problem is solved by an act of deception. And then the fourth and final episode that I watched, it centered on a doctor lying about his medical credentials and everyone else helping him to continue the fraud. Every show I watched highlighted lies. And at first I was like, wow. And then it kind of hit me. We live in the midst of a trans age transsexual, even transhuman ideology. That's what the, the culture is all about. Trans reality even, really. So in other words, the culture is all about lying. People saying, I'm not a boy, when they are in fact a boy. People lying maybe even to themselves and saying, there's nothing evil about pedophilia. They're, they're simply minor attracted persons. You know, they even have an acronym for it, you know, MAPS, minor attracted persons. Now, are you kind of seeing where I'm going? I wonder if I've telegraphed the punch too much. Because the point I'm making here is that it began to resonate with me as I watched this show, series of shows, that of course... It's a show that's all about accept uh, the lies of, uh, because it's all about accepting any and all forms of strangeness as normal. That's the point of the show. Accepting even non-humanness, being transhuman as normal. Of course a show like that would be called Hotel Transylvania. The whole trans movement is built upon a lie. And all the episodes, at least all the ones that I could suffer through, were celebrating lying. Every single one. I just have to wonder what kind of subliminal effect this has on so many young people who are big consumers of this content. Is the second beast using this show to silently poison their young minds? True religion, the biblical religion of Jesus Christ, renews the mind. The false religion, the pseudo-religion that propagates another gospel, destroys the mind and the soul. In some ways, the religious structure of the beast system, it shows itself rather plainly if we kind of know what we're looking for and we're attuned to what's happening. Are you willing to look for it? If so... Here are some words that might help you with a nod to our friend John Harris who blessed us with his presence earlier this year to talk about social justice. Uh, here's a schema that I've adapted from him. Uh, made my own edits and adjustments to kind of make it my own, but I mean the, the, the core of it is really his work. So I, again, give a nod to John. And notice as I go through this how today's insanity is trying to counterfeit the scriptural reality. So for the neo-knuckleheads 
the neo-Marxists and all the other neo-knuckleheads out there. Original sin is whiteness. The law is political correctness. Being judged guilty, well, that's being censored and canceled. You want to be born again? Get woke. You want to faithfully gather together with others who practice your faith? Well, then just regularly attend all the leftist, mostly peaceful protests that you can as often as you can. You want to experience heaven on earth? Well, then you need to push for diversity and equity and inclusion. might be wondering, does this hellish religion have missionaries? Well, yes, it does. And they're called implicit bias trainers. What about prophets? has those too. They're called critical theorists. Clergy? Well, the media and the community organizers and the apostate parachurch groups, these are the priests. And to make the system work, all they have to do is to replace love and justice with conflict and revolution. That's all. And then prop up the state and the state-sanctioned experts as the ultimate authority rather than admitting that the ultimate authority is the Creator and His Word. And then replace the illumination of the Holy Spirit with a Gnostic intersectional life experience built upon standpoint epistemology and all that sort of nonsense, and boy, they are off to the races. See how it works? And here's the thing. Too often, it seems to me, these Satanists are far more committed to their cause than us good guys are committed to ours. See, we've got to not only identify the enemy, but we must engage the enemy. Not to depress you or anything, but look, I mean, they have co-opted nearly all of the seminaries. That is not an exaggeration. They have co-opted the overwhelming majority of the denominations and faith traditions as well. They're not shy about engaging you. They understand it's a spiritual war. They're suited up for battle. They're called social justice warriors. But in their war, they don't want anyone really to win the war. They're nihilists. They want everyone to lose. It's loser take all. And this is why they go out of their way to make a big deal out of celebrating and honoring people who are perpetual victims, perpetual losers. Well, this is the polar opposite of the life that our Lord has for his saints. We are not called to be victims. We are called to be victors. We are called to persevere and to overcome. And we do that by being obedient to what he tells us to do and how to live our lives. How are you doing on that front? Maybe that could be fodder for our discussion. Let's pray. 
Father, we are so thankful that you are our God, that you are the eternal God, all-powerful, all-knowing, that you have a plan from eternity, from before the foundations of the world. And we are so grateful that you have chosen us to be a part of that plan. You've called us to yourself as the bridegroom's bride. We thank you that you have given us the truth of your word, that you have given us the illumination of the Holy Spirit to understand it. You've given us eyes to see and ears to hear. And we ask you would give us an increasing measure of obedience and courage to confront the enemy with the truth, with the weapon of the gospel, with the sword of your word. It can feel to us as though all is lost. But we know our feelings lie to us in such situations because we know that all is one in Christ, the cross. Help us to live like that's true. Because we know it is. Lord, we ask that you would move among your people globally, nationally, in our community, and also that you now would help us to feel your presence and guide our discussion that's about to follow here as iron seeks to sharpen iron. Thank you, Lord, for making us your people. Help us to be a better people for you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, I am going to shut down the stream. If you're interested in learning more about the series in Revelation or more about the church, you need prayer, you're looking for an answer to a theological question, anything like that, go to our website, householdoffaithinchrist.com. That's householdoffaithinchrist.com. God bless. <laughs>